So we continue this week in John, the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves in chapter 3, and we're going to look at the interaction taking place between Nicodemus and Jesus. And uh, thus far, we've seen, of course, the Christ practicing supernatural activities, miraculous activities, and how a great many of these religious leaders and religious individuals of his day had a superficial faith. Hence, the words of the scriptures in chapter 2, verse 24, which say that he was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. But perhaps some, of course, had genuine inquiry, genuine faith to recognize what was taking place, perhaps not to the greater measurement that would be revealed, further along the line of his ministry and, of course, the fulfillment on the cross, but to a degree that was sufficient for them to follow and to seek answers from this man, Jesus. And so the interaction that would take place between he and uh, Nicodemus is certainly a witnessed and recorded account that can uh, bring insight to his day and age and what was taking place back then and how it certainly applies to us today with application. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, chapter 3, verse 1, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Commentaries from my brethren would say that Nicodemus was a common name, if you will. Scholarly sources would say Nicodemus is or was a common name during that culture, that time. And it was of a, I believe they said, Gentile persuasion regarding the name. Um, and those brethren are far smarter than I am. And I do certainly trust some sources when it comes to that information. Nonetheless, this man named Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. A ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Not necessarily that he, the Christ, Jesus, is God, but that God must be with him somehow. For how else could he do these signs? And of course, that speaks the volume of um, the volume to which Nicodemus was capable of recognizing what was taking place. Now, was his faith superficial or genuine? Uh, depending on the perspective you take when you read or teach this section, this portion of Scripture, I suppose both could apply in one way or another, and both need not damage the doctrine or the things being taught. 
Perhaps Nicodemus was indeed a sincere and genuine individual who was truly curious and wanting to understand what Jesus was speaking about. Or perhaps it was, again, superficial, along the lines of those revealed in chapter 2, verse 24. Nonetheless, the teachings of the Christ are revealed and spoken of. This man came to Jesus by night. Which man? Well, the ruler of the Jews, of course, being part of the Sanhedrin, a body of 70 individuals. So Nicodemus was certainly a man of influence, a man of great respect and honor, a learned man who would know the law, a person of wealth, influence, a teacher of the law. The, higher, the, the, the highest governing body uh, of the Jews was the Sanhedrin. And the pharisaical uh, influence of their day and age and culture and tradition was certainly the most prevalent and sought. And though the Sanhedrin would have had a greater influence regarding the Sadducees' worldview, there were certainly pharisaical sources, influence, and powers within this body of uh, governance, if you will. And so the thought, of course, is important because even the highest order of their way and law was seeking audience and conversation with Jesus the Christ, right? That reveals something, that says something when even the highest leaders of religious tradition and teaching of that age were seeking to question Jesus, were seeking to be interested in him, curious towards him, though it may be, again, from a superficial faith, or even perhaps from hostility and hate and jealousy, envy and every other word the Bible would describe sinful behavior and character. But let us see Nicodemus perhaps in the perspective of a genuine inquiry. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, which is teacher, he had enough respect for him to give him that title, perhaps again from a genuine source. I know we know from the text in various locations of the gospel that that would have been utilized in a mocking form towards Jesus as well from his enemies. But he says, Rabbi, we know we speaking not only of himself, right, but of others, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For the reason we know that, no one can do these signs, the signs he's seen take place, obviously. No one can do that unless God is with him, at the very least. So Jesus answered, and said to him, Truly, truly, pay attention to the words I am speaking to you. Allow them to infiltrate your thoughts, your mind. Receive them in a humble way. I say to you, the source of authority, I, the Christ, God on earth, unless there is a condition here. It is an inevitable condition. You cannot deviate from it. 
You cannot pervert or contaminate it. You must abide and obey this command unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Quite interesting information, brethren. Speaking to a man, designated towards a man who is of the highest order in leadership among religious people of the day. Surely no one need to be, or surely nobody of that stature needs to be taught, needs to be, or to do anything further than what he has done. But yet even Nicodemus, spite the fact that he was a Pharisee, leader of the Jews, a person of wealth, again, influential, a teacher of the law, he needed to understand this information. There was something he needed to change his thoughts, his mind about. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is this birth he speaks of, right? Nicodemus says to Jesus in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? Like, what is this information that you are speaking to me about? Nicodemus, along with the Pharisees and most Jews, had a blind spot. And we spoke about blind spots in our midweek studies, didn't we? They had a blind spot. And to their credit, I suppose I know why their persuasion would be indeed persuaded to think of earthly things, worldly things, and not spiritual things. For they would interpret the prophets and the literature of the Old Testament to which they lived, they lived submissive to, as a physical and immediate revealing, not spiritual. So if you're speaking to me of this birth, then I am naturally going to think of the natural process. A woman giving birth to a child. Haven't we already been born? Here we are, old and speaking to each other. How is it that you say one must be born again? How can I, as a grown man, go back into my mother's womb? The information we've been reading in the scriptures was of a coming Messiah that would wield the sword against the Roman Empire. And destroy the pagan, the heathen, the Gentile, the Greeks. And once again take throne and dominion. And build a great kingdom. Made of some of the strongest elements we can produce. And we will reign as the Jews. And no longer be in bondage and subject to a Roman oppression. What is this birth you speak of? Born again? 
So Jesus answers, Nicodemus, again, truly, truly, pay attention to the words I say to you, for they are indeed divine, deistic, powerful. Unless one is born out of water, the Greek language clearly reveals out of water and the spirit, he cannot. It will never happen. It doesn't matter what men come up with. It will never happen if one is not born again out of water and the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Strange. Nicodemus is asking, how can we go back into our mother's womb as grown men? Jesus does not interact with that question saying, well, you see, it's kind of technical. and <laughs> He says and repeats, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born out of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter. And what did he say in verse 3? He cannot see. To see is to enter. It is equivalent into a location. You will not become a citizen of the kingdom unless you are born again out of water and the Spirit. How can this be? How can this be? And he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, in verse 7, you must be, must be born again. Don't be amazed at this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And again in verse 8, or so in verse 8, not speaking, of course, of the process, but rather of the individual who has been born again. And Nicodemus says to Jesus in verse 9, Well, how can these things be? How can they be? Nicodemus needs to start thinking spiritually. The world, in its fallen way, sees a small body of people congregating in our homes. But we, through the faith we have in spiritual things, see ourselves as citizens of a powerful kingdom. A house not built by the hands of men. And we see this birth as a spiritual... Um, how should I say? A spiritual obedience that not only rescues but transfers us into this redemptive location, this kingdom. Now... Jesus says to Nicodemus in relation to how can these things be? Jesus says to him in verse 10, 
Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? To be born again? To become a child of God? Do you not understand these things? To be born out of water? This birth that consists of two elements, water being one of them, a divine cleansing, not ceremonial like the Old Testament would reveal, and also of spirit, a new life, an eternal change produced by inspired words, God breathed instruction. Titus 3.5 would say, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, despite the fact that he was a Pharisee, leader of the Jews, a person of wealth and influence, a teacher of the law, he could not see the kingdom of God without being born again. Even for a man of such prestige and stature, he still needed salvation from above. And he should have been able to recognize this and be familiar with it through the book of Ezekiel and other Old Testament scripture. As a Pharisee, you see, he probably relied on his own, on his own confidence, in his own righteousness, and had not welcomed the humble thought of repentance, the need to have his life cleansed, and his heart transformed. It's quite revealing on how we are all equal on this earth to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It matters not what stature or prestige or measurement of influence one takes as a believer as a religious individual. If you've not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are missing the mark and you cannot see nor enter into the legal location in which the saved are gathered. You must be born again for God to add you to his church, his body. We've been studying through Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, do we not see the pen of the Holy Spirit through Paul reveal that the kingdom of his beloved son is indeed the body, the church? And here is the pattern for entrance. Christ speaking prophetically, of course, in which he would fulfill, not abolish, not destroy the prophets, but bring to completion the prophecies to fulfill. Because at this very time, in direct context, what was effective was the baptism of John, commonly known as John the Baptist. And Nicodemus would have understood having seen John and those who were being immersed. Why? It was the baptism of repentance, a full immersion. To be plunged, to be dipped, to be submerged, to be buried, clothed, immersed fully. Why? Well, for the forgiveness of of their sins. How so? Looking towards the Christ. Nicodemus should have understood through the literature he was born and raised to read, recite, meditate on, teach, and preach. 
He knew the law. Why could he not have the mind to think spiritually? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? You see, Nicodemus was familiar indeed with the baptismal process in relation to proselytes, right? A Gentile converting to Judaism. Now, the Gentile would baptize himself, which is interesting because the religious leaders seeing John, commonly known as the Baptist, John the Immerser, would be the one to administer and bring down the individual into the water. Well, with, with, with what authority are you doing that? And would not Jesus ask the question? The baptism of John, where does it come from? Does it come from heaven or does it come from men? And they wouldn't answer that question, would they? And so Jesus says what he says, and the information is revealed to this birth to become to become a child of God. And we looked at what it meant to become or the information regarding becoming a child of God, of God in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become. They had received the privilege to become children of God. Who? Those who received him and those who believed. So those are requirements of anyone who sought to be born again. Can I be born again? Well, have you received Jesus? Do you believe in him? Yes, I do. Then you qualify to become. Then you qualify as one who, uh, well, now I mixed my words. You qualify to become and you became when you were born again, right? In verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's important information because what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is not a birth from flesh or blood. It is not from a, will, a willingly and a, a free-willed decision between a male and a female to procreate. It is not a product of flesh and blood. This new birth, this birth you must go through in order to enter in as a legal citizen of the kingdom. It is not something that we have created among mankind. Paul would tell his brethren that this gospel don't come from man. This kingdom was not built by the hands of men. Nicodemus should have known this if he would pay attention to the spiritual side of the pen and the law that he was born and raised to read and recite and meditate on, teach and preach, to which he was a great influence. The ruler, a ruler of the Jews. According to its kind, which kind of birth is he speaking of? A spiritual kind of birth that is certainly seen through a physical obedience. We are a spiritual house, yet people out there can see our physical bodies congregated together. To be born again, this new birth is a spiritual birth, but it can be seen through the water. Why? Does water have any power? Did John the Baptist 
have any power to forgive any man's sin? What did Paul say to the Corinthians in chapter 1? God didn't send me to baptize. I don't have the power to save your soul. Jesus the Christ does. It's not the water, and it's not the individual who helps the person go down into the water. It is Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, a change of life, of mind, produced by the words we read, Of course, Jesus speaking for the immediacy of the baptism that was in effect for Nicodemus and also knowing and seeing, having great insight in what was to come when he had fulfilled the gospel, died on that cross and raised again. To which the apostles guided into all truth would see and understand, oh, right, 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 this birth now to be clothed with Christ, now to enter into this location. You see, John was not immersed into Christ, added to the church, added to this kingdom. John did not see that. Now, is he in paradise and awaiting heaven upon judgment? Well, of course. But it is for you and I, after the cross, to experience all the spiritual blessings in Christ, in his kingdom, born again according to its own kind which is not flesh and blood it's not according to the will of men when we submit ourselves in a poor of spirit condition humble seeking forgiveness from god his grace his mercy we cannot meritoriously earn our salvation we cannot boast of our works ephesians 2 8 and 9 we surrender to Christ as the thief on the cross. Yet after the cross, the command is given. And we submit to God being fully buried in water. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born out of water. And there are so many misguided and erroneous religious teachings that would try to say to us, well, that birth is speaking of the mother's womb. And no, not at all. That does not fit the text at all, nor the grammar, nor the context. And Nicodemus thought that way as well. And Jesus was wise to correct it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. He's speaking of the kind of birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you listen to the words of this book, if you read the information of this inspired pen and you allow this information to infiltrate your thoughts and to govern your mind into repentance, into a change, you receive Jesus, you believe he is the Son of God, you confess him with your mouth publicly, then you qualify for this new birth. This new birth that takes place, where? What did the Ethiopian eunuch say? Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip, the evangelist, asked the question, well, do you believe in Jesus? Well, I do, I, I certainly do. Then you qualify. They both went down into the water and Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch and they both came up out of the water. And when did the Ethiopian eunuch rejoice? 
before being immersed or after? After every recorded account of an individual obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ as a repentant believer rejoiced after they came up out of the water. Why? Because they had just been born again out of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus is not mentioned too often. A few other locations that might give insight that he may have had a genuine curiosity to what he was seeing and hearing. Did he obey the gospel? No information is given along those lines that I am aware of. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What must I do to be saved? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Are you willing to repent of your sins? Yes. Will you confess Jesus as your ruler, your king, the son of God? Yes. Then you qualify to be immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, calling on his name, for therein lies the power in the name, the authority of Jesus Christ. You can be immersed. God will save your soul. He will spiritually operate on you in that water. Colossians 2, 12, 11 and 12, I believe. No, I only see water. I only see water and I only see this, that, and the other. Then you are blind. Where are your spiritual eyes? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Nicodemus. A burial must take place. Romans 6, 3, and 4. This burial connects us to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. When we come up out of that water, born again of water and spirit, we indeed have a new life. We need not be nailed to a cross as a thief to find salvation. We need not have the belief of the demons, who certainly did believe in Jesus, yet had no salvation. And James was wise in chapter 2 to ask the question, Can a faith without works save anyone? Well, it's rhetorical. Of course it can't save anyone. If you love me, keep my commandments. How can I show my Lord I love him? Obey my commandments. Be born again. It is not the work of man to boast. It is the work of God. So the text would say itself in Colossians. It's God's work. That's why we call on his name. Nicodemus. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Nicodemus says, yes, I do. Nicodemus, we call on the name of our Lord and Master. We baptize you, immerse you for the forgiveness of your sins through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is plunged, dipped, submerged, and he comes out of that water. He has now became a child of God. Prior, he qualified to become, and now he has became a child of God when I obeyed. Isn't that something? Isn't that wonderful? And in verse 8, he is not talking about the procedure. 
but the individual being born again and the process therein. Why is it when the fulfillment of the cross had taken place, the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ, and the kingdom established on the day of Pentecost, the doors opened, the keys, the conditions spoken, proclaimed among the people by the chosen vessels, the apostles who had received the indwelling, the miraculous endowment, poured out power of the Holy Spirit, stood up among the people and proclaimed the truth. And all who received those words were immersed into Christ, legal citizens of his kingdom. Anyone this very hour, this very day, can be born again. You can't do it on your own. I can't save you. You can't save me. And nor can water. Jesus is the one who saves you when you are being buried. Peter knew that very well in 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism now saves you. You're not taking a bath in that water. You're not going to be cleansing any sin on your flesh in that water. It is through the power of Christ, his resurrection. He conquered death and so can you if you are immersed in him. And one says, I only see water. Then you have no active faith and your faith is dead. One says, I see through that watery grave, that tomb. I see the tomb of Christ. I must go to the tomb of Christ. And everyone around him sees him as a fool. What is he speaking of the tomb of Christ? It's water. No, it's not water. It's a tomb. And I need to go into that tomb and come out of that tomb alive with my master. Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? This message is reality. It is truth. And it sets men free. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. It sets us free. John 8, 32. No wonder all the epistles and the information of the apostles after the recorded acts of the apostles were about remembrance. Remember when you were born again? Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Remember when you were born again? Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Remember when you were born again? Remember when you were born again? Okay, that will conclude this session, sermon, and we will go to a song. You know, Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Messiah, and his Messiahship was known because he certainly fulfilled the prophets. Malachi 3, 1 and 3, when he flipped those tables, and he ran off those moneymakers. And we saw how Jesus' relationship was indeed with the Father in chapter 2, verse 16. And we saw Jesus' power in chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus is the Son of God, and he will save your soul in that watery grave. All right, son, we can begin the song. <laughs> 